This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Todd McKay. We've got our federal director, Franco Terrazano here. Franco, how's it going, man? It's going great, man. You know, I'm uh, I'm slowly making my way to Ottawa in a few weeks here. I'm still in Calgary, but over the last few days, like it even got close to 30 degrees. It's sunny still. So I hope I don't jinx it, but man, I am really enjoying soaking up these rays. Man, I got a confession on the whole jinxing it thing. It was like early spring. It started to get nice. I put my uh, snowblower away and we got like two more snowstorms after that. I was like, that was a huge mistake. I shouldn't have done it. This was all my fault. So I said I wouldn't put it away again until it was June. So last weekend, I just put my snowblower away. If it snows again in Saskatchewan, I'm really sorry, everybody. Totally my fault. That's what that's where that's at. Man, weather out here. It's a thing. But okay, let's talk about business a little bit. Uh, We're coming to the end of COVID, maybe, hopefully, right? So we got to start thinking about life after COVID. We need to get thousands of Canadians back to work. We need to, you know, uh, fix up our healthcare system. It's not perfect. We definitely learned that during the pandemic. And we've got a trillion dollar debt. That's going to be with us for a while, but we've got to get on top of it soon. A bunch of folks, including uh, us here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we got together, we write a book called Life After COVID. We want to start talking about those big ideas. We've got legal folks, we've got healthcare folks, and we've got some of us looking at debt and the economic aspects of this. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. And we've got Waste Watch. We've got uh, the Governor General. Again, we've got more documents about more wasted money so we're gonna talk about that man i feel like that's just like it's gonna be like war and peace by the time we're done getting through all of the bills uh from julie payette's time as uh as governor general uh but we got a few other quick hits i wanted to touch on newfoundland got its budget out it's the last budget uh last major canadian budget to come out wow They've got a lot of debt going on in Newfoundland. If you look at Newfoundland's workforce, all of its workers, so not kids, not retired folks, the folks actually going out and and working, getting the job done, uh, those good folks, $182,000 in debt per worker in Newfoundland. That is a truckload of money. And you would have thought that when the government was looking at those numbers, those numbers are in the budget. You'd think the Newfoundland budget or uh, Newfoundland finance minister, finance crew over there would have looked at it and said, ooh, we need to dial back to spending. But no, no, no. They were like, more of anything? More of everything. Spending was up $121 million in Newfoundland. That's an awful lot of money for a comparatively small uh, province. And this wasn't just on the essentials. Bureaucrats, raises booked across the board, even though the province really can't afford them. And even little stuff, like the Canada Summer Games. People get together, they get, eh, throw the old ball around. Newfoundland's like, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of that, guys. Don't worry about that. We'll, we can pay for that. Are you guys crazy? You don't have money for the summer games. None of us have. <laughs> I don't know if any of us can really chip in at this point. And here's the thing. I'm not even making fun of you, Newfoundland. I live in Saskatchewan. Guess what we just got here? A credit rating downgrade. We are spending way too much money here in Saskatchewan. Franco, you're in Al- Alberta. For a long time, Alberta was like the rich kid on the block. Everything's good in Alberta. It's gotten a credit rating downgrade too. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't even talked about the elephant in the room yet, right? Which is the federal government. Of course, 
the feds are also up to their eyeballs in debt. And, you know, Newfoundland's budget is in the tanks, right? So we're all going to be watching closely to make sure that there isn't going to be a federal bailout for the rock. You know, that would cost us all tens of billions of dollars. But you know what could be even worse is that a federal bailout for Newfoundland could just set a awful precedent for the other provinces, right? The other provinces, it's not like they're a, a bunch of beauty pageant contestants either, right? So if the feds give Newfoundland a whole truckload of more money, I think it's a pretty good bet that the other finance ministers will be going to the federal government cap in hand, looking for a bailout for themselves. And that wouldn't cost tens of billions of dollars. That could cost hundreds of billions of dollars. And, you know, speaking of bad budget news, well, I've got some more. Well, maybe it's good news, depending on how you look at it. But the Fraser Institute just released its Tax Freedom Day report. And celebrate time, everybody, because Tax Freedom Day happened on May 24th, right? So, so that means if you had to pay all your taxes up front, well, you'd be working for the for the governments uh, in, up until May 23rd. And then May 24th and on, you get to work for yourselves. Now, Tax Freedom Day this year is about a week later than it was in 2020. To bring forward even some more bad news, unfortunately, the Fraser Institute also calculated what balanced budget Tax Freedom Day would be, right? We're running huge deficits all across the country, not the federal government. So balanced budget Tax Freedom Day wouldn't occur this year until July 7th. That is crazy. Um, another another eye-popping stat within that report is that Guess what? The average family pays about 39% of their entire income in taxes to all levels of government. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah, 39%. Like that sounds high, but then you take it over to the money side of it. The tax bill for the average family is nearly $49,000 a year. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a second. I uh, did my uh, turbo taxes last year. The bill wasn't $49,000. Your income tax doesn't tell the whole story. You've got sales taxes on top of that, property taxes on top of that. And guess what? When the store down the street is paying business taxes, guess where that money comes from? It comes from you. $49,000 a year per family in Canada uh, on average. That's what their tax bill is. Man, and that's more money than the average family spends on, I don't know, little things like food, shelter, clothing, add all that up. The tax bill is still bigger. It's a crazy amount of money. And Franco, we've got some serious issues when it comes to government budgets and the economy as well. We've got to start talking about that. We're starting to see the light at the end of the COVID tunnel. I think it's daylight. Still get a little worried sometimes. Maybe that's a train coming at us. Feels like it's daylight, but we're going to have to come up with a plan for this. It's not like we're walking out into some beautiful new world where everything's going to be fine. We've got a lot of aftermath to deal with. We're going to need some big ideas to deal with them. A number of organizations, including the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, like I said, we went, uh, we took a bunch of those ideas. We put them in a book, called it Life After COVID. Franco, let's... Uh, Let's dive into some of the ideas in there. All right. More depressing news. Thousands of Canadians are unemployed. Countless small businesses are holding on by a thread. Our healthcare system, man, it's been strained. And it was struggling even before COVID-19 hit. We've got debt at all levels of government just hitting monumental highs. We've got a lot of, uh, a lot of obstacles to overcome. So Franco, 
you've got the plan. You and a bunch of your friends, you wrote, uh, you wrote down the, the blueprint to get us out of this. What do we got to do? Well, Todd, you know, the solution to many of these problems that you were talking about is not more government. The solution to many of these problems are, are less government, right? Uh, take, take the economy, for example. I mean, let me just throw a, a would you rather question at you. Well, hey, would you rather pay no sales taxes for two years or would you rather a bunch of bureaucratic programs that take forever to roll out and that you, act, you have to pay back with interest? Which one would you take? Oh, man, give me that sales uh, tax break. Like That's like having a sale on everything. And then I can invest my money. Like, eh, this is a good idea. Let's, let's do the, uh, I'll take column A. Yeah, it's a no-brainer, right? Um, and the reason I put that question to you is because the federal government is talking about all this so-called economic stimulus spending. But when it comes to the government and when it comes to spending, we have to remember that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Now, the feds are increasing permanent federal government spending by about $100 billion by 2026. The politicians, they love to claim that this is going to help grow the economy. But here's what they don't like to talk about. They don't like to talk about the fact that that money isn't growing on trees. That money isn't falling from the skies. That money has to come from taxpayers' pockets one way or another. So this new spending, it actually comes with a tab of about $2,500 for each Canadian, right? And that's why I brought up the would you rather question for because for less than this federal government stimulus spending that $100 billion over the next few years, well, for less than that price tag, the federal government could eliminate the GST for two years, or it could cut its income tax take in half for 2021. So would you rather? Yeah, we could have tax freedom day way earlier, right? And it's really important to look at what we're talking about with that $100 billion. That's not emergency spending. That's not money to pay for vaccines. That's not money to, you know, for wage supplements for folks who, who got laid off in the pandemic. This is $100 billion in new permanent government spending. And here's the really depressing part. It's not like we were super you know, fiscally responsible before. It's not like we were looking, we had a really good budget, we were saving some money, putting some away, really being careful, taking care of things. No, we we're spending like crazy people before. The Trudeau government was not penny pinching. Frankly, governments even before the Trudeau government, not super careful with money. Certainly we're not seeing provincial governments that careful. We've been spending like crazy people for a long time. Then we got hammered by COVID. So what are we gonna do about this? Yeah, no kidding on that last point, hey. Uh, I mean, I think all of our listeners are going to remember this. Way back in the day, way before COVID-19, you had Trudeau who was promising that he would eventually balance the budget. Well, surprise, surprise, turns out budgets don't balance themselves. He completely missed that balanced budget target by a country mile. And here's the thing, in 2018, so this is before COVID-19 happened, the Trudeau government took federal spending to heights never seen before in Canada's modern age. And that's when it even accounting for population and inflation. And, you know, before budget 2021 was introduced, we already saw the federal government spend billions and billions of dollars during the pandemic. And that's why we've been out there so loud saying, like, hold on a second. We were spending a ton of money before COVID-19. Then COVID-19 happened and the, the federal government spent billions and billions of dollars. Um, so we don't need any more expensive so-called economic stimulus spending from the federal government. Okay, listen, 
you're telling me that red ink from Ottawa, that's not going to be the solution. But hey, uh, we made a promise to people at the start of the show. You were going to come with solutions, man. You've been coming to like, I think we, we've demonstrated pretty conclusively government money is not going to fix this. But you know, you owe us some recommendations, man. What, what are we going to do to fix this problem? Well, in my defense, I have already provided one crucial recommendation, right? We've already kind of talked about tax relief, but that should have been step number one. I mean, at the very least, it should have been a no brainer for all governments, especially the Trudeau government, to at least not raise taxes during this severe economic downturn. But unfortunately, that's not what we saw. Because during COVID-19, we saw the Trudeau government raise its carbon tax, not once, but twice. We've also seen the feds raise their booze taxes. So when it comes to economic growth, I mean, step number one is at first just do no harm. But we, we should have seen the government go even further than that. We should have seen the government make an effort to reduce taxes, let families keep more of our own money in our pockets so we have money to, to spend more, to invest more, and of course, just to go to those local restaurants, to spend in our local economy, and also let businesses keep more of their own money, right? So they have money to expand their operations and to help get Canadians back to work. So tax relief should have been a, a huge priority for these governments in getting the economy going again. But there's other taxpayer friendly ways to help the economy, like, for example, cutting onerous regulations. To be fair, we have seen some governments do that and move in the right direction, right? Uh, turns out letting restaurants deliver beer and wine and spirits um, and, and cocktails along with their burgers and fries didn't bring the sky falling down. So that's some good news on the red tape stuff. But more work definitely needs to be done in terms of cutting red tape, especially around resource development. Unfortunately, this has been something the Trudeau government has not been good at, to say the least, right? The Trudeau government brought in the No More Pipelines law. The Trudeau government brought in the discriminatory tanker ban and rejected Northern Gateway. I can really go on and on and on. Um, but our friends at SecondStreet.org, who also co-authored Life After COVID ebook, they actually tallied all of the stalled or delayed resource projects here in Canada from government obstacles. And they found that over the last six or so years that these stalled or delayed resource projects because of governments cost us about $215 billion in loss investment. So here we're leaving billions of dollars on the table because politicians are roadblocking our ability to develop our own resources. All right. Okay. So that's talking about some of the economic side of things. But listen, I think in the spotlight throughout all of this has been healthcare. What's going on uh, in hospitals? What are we doing to uh, deal with COVID? And I think it's actually really surprising for a lot of Canadians to be like, we're running out of intensive care beds. Like we spend a truckload of money on healthcare. And now in a crisis, uh, we've seen some, some real strain. So- what are we going to do about healthcare? Well, I think it's important to point out too, right, that these problems, uh, these conversations that we needed to have all stem before COVID-19, right? There was issues we needed to fix before COVID-19, but I think this whole pandemic has kind of put the spotlight on all of the issues. And, and I think one thing should be abundantly clear is that more tax dollars aren't the answer, especially when it comes to Canadian healthcare, because despite having one of the most expensive government healthcare systems among higher income industrialized countries, our timeliness of care in Canada is among the worst 
among government healthcare systems uh, in, in high income countries. And we see that play out even within Canada, right? Uh, within the high spending provinces like Newfoundland, Labrador on a per person basis, and, and also in Alberta, where, where I am, we see both of these provinces spending a truckload of money, especially per person, but they're not getting the best results. And I think that really highlights the fact that more tax dollars thrown at a problem isn't a very good solution. And when it comes to healthcare, we have been spending more and more and more for a very, very long time. In 2019, our healthcare spending as a percentage of the economy was about 11.5%. That's up from 9% from the early 2000s and up from about 7% in the 1970s. So clearly, it's not like our healthcare system here is underfunded. It's the exact opposite. We're spending a ton of money. Now, one of the reforms talked about in the book from Montreal Economic Institute, but something that the CTF has been advocating for a long time is that we have to let entrepreneurs play a bigger role in delivering healthcare services and taking some of the pressure off the government healthcare system. And Todd, here's a great quote that I found from, from Dr. Will Johnson. He's a family doctor in Vancouver. And here's what he said, quote, our peer nations like Britain, France, and Australia have a sensible mix of public and private services that deliver timely care. Here in Canada, we are shackled to a clogged system. Access to everything from psychiatry to scans to surgery is just plain bad. People get hurt waiting. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the healthcare, uh, the debate almost always centers around how much more money will it take to make it better? And listen, at times, there are things you got to spend money on. You got to spend money on vaccines right now. I don't think you see a lot of argument about that. But if money were going to fix the system overall, I think it probably would have been fixed a while ago. We're, we've been piling money in for a long time. And on the other hand, when we have tried little baby steps towards uh, some innovation, uh, we've seen some pretty big improvements uh, when you bring entrepreneurs into it. So we saw it right here in Saskatchewan. A few years ago, the government moved some day procedures from hospitals to private clinics to reduce wake times. Now, it should be very clear, the government still paid for the procedure, uh, but they were done in a private clinic, uh, one that focused entirely on doing some of this stuff. So knee replacements, that kind of thing. And here's, uh, here's maybe an unsurprising fact. If you've got a team of people doing nothing but knee replacements all the time, they get pretty good at knee replacements, like really good at it, really quick, really efficient. We saw the wait times shrink dramatically, and it was 26% cheaper to do it in these clinics than we could get it done in hospitals. And I've also seen the other side of this in Saskatchewan. Uh, my beard is getting gray enough. I, I remember back a little ways. And uh, in Saskatchewan, man, we took some budgets right over the waterfall uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. And that forced governments to make super difficult decisions. At the time, it was an NDP government. They inherited an absolute uh, disaster of, uh, of a debt situation. They had to close 52 hospitals across the province. I don't think they wanted to do that. I'm pretty sure. But it wasn't a matter of you know, what color of party was in government. It was just a simple math situation. They were out of money. So let's bring us uh, back to... That one great big obstacle we've got to talk about, the federal debt, $1 trillion. Budget 2021 is projecting to nearly double the pre-pandemic debt in just a few years. We can't just do like uh, some of us have been tempted to do in the past with credit card statements. You just, you know, 
put it in a drawer and forget about it. I don't think that's going to make it better. We've got to get on top of it. How are we going to solve that problem? Well, you know, $1 trillion in federal debt, that's a, that's a tough number to wrap our heads around, right? Uh, but when you break that down, that, that means about each Canadian owes about $28,000 in federal government debt alone. And I say alone because on top of that, you, you also are going to owe your, your provincial government debt as well. And, and we've talked about the provincial governments being up to their eyeballs in debt. Here in Alberta, we're more than $100 billion in debt. That was almost unthinkable a few short years ago. We talked about the mess that The Rock is in. Um, we, talk, we, we mentioned Ontario as well. Um, they're massively in debt. So, so debt is a huge issue. And another big issue isn't just the top line debt number. It's the interest payments that governments have to make every single year to service the debt. And the federal government over the next five years is going to have to pay about $150 billion in interest charges alone. You break that down and that's about 4,000 smackers for every Canadian just to service the federal government's debt. And, you know, we, we need to talk about solutions here. But one of the big things to get us out of this mess is just to understand why we're in this mess in the first place. And sure, yeah, the, the pandemic did cause federal revenues to drop by 11% in 2020. That's a part of the story. But here's a bigger part of the story. Ottawa spending shot up by 75%. And remember, that is higher spending on top of already massive spending that was going on under the Trudeau government before COVID-19. Man, it just jumps out at me every time. $150 billion in interest charges on the debt. $150 billion just on the interest. That's not paying down the debt. That's not making the debt smaller. That's just keeping up with the interest. It's not going to healthcare. It's not going to uh, fixing potholes. It's not going to lower taxes. It's just going to bond fund managers on Bay Street and Wall Street and all those places. Those guys are already doing pretty good. You know, it's funny. I would love to have a debate with folks on the other side of the, the spectrum who like government spending. Let's have a big debate about what we do with that $150 billion. But surely to goodness, we can all agree that watching that money fly out the door for interest charges, that's not the best use of that money. So, okay, we've got a debt problem. We didn't put the, uh, you and me, we're not putting the, uh, the credit card statement in the drawer. We're taking it out. We're opening it. It's not good. It's bad. It's really bad. Let's just be honest about that. But what are we going to do about it? Now we're looking at it in the face. What are we going to do? Well, you, you got to start at the top, right? Leadership has to start at the top, especially if you're, if you're going to departments and you're asking them to find savings. Well, then you first have to find savings, right? That's why we need to see members of parliament or politicians in Ottawa they need to share in the tough times. They need to be willing to take a pay cut. Unfortunately, we've seen the exact opposite. We've seen our MPs pocket not one pay raise, but two pay raises, while millions of Canadians have been struggling through COVID-19. And, and man, you know, I, I'm here in Calgary. I've got a lot of friends who have been going through this downturn, not just through COVID-19, but for the last five plus years. I, I know so many people who have 
taken pay cuts, who have lost their job. I have friends who are small business owners who are really holding on by a thread right now. And to think that our tax dollars is going to pay for multiple pay raises for our politicians, it really lands like a slap in the face. So our politicians, they need to uh, share in the tough times. That's step number one. Now, along those similar lines, we need to see our government bureaucrats willing to share in the tough times from coast to coast because government bureaucrat costs make up a huge portion of government budgets. So if we're, if we're really going to rein in these massive deficits, if we're really going to start to chip away at the debt, you have to see government bureaucrats willing to share in the tough times and take a pay cut. But of course, we haven't seen that yet. What we have seen is a tale of two pandemics, right? We've seen the private sector just get clobbered, but we've seen government really get through this thing unscathed. And many government employees, we've digged up through freedom of information requests. Uh, you know, here in Alberta, we, we saw thousands of government employees pocket pay raises as well during lockdowns in 2020. So we do need to see that, uh, that type of spending reined in. Another thing that has to happen, this is a must, this is a necessity, is that all this massive temporary spending during COVID-19 needs to stay temporary for us to really get back to fiscal sanity. We can't let these temporary spending programs become costly, uh, permanent federal spending that we simply can't afford. And Todd, I know you're going to agree with this last one. I know all of our listeners are really going to agree with this last one. Uh, it's we got to cut out the corporate welfare, right? These politicians in Ottawa, if they've, if they've shown us one thing, it's that they probably couldn't even balance the budget of a lemonade stand, right? So they definitely shouldn't be using our tax dollars to run around and play investment banker and trying to pick which businesses should succeed and which businesses should lose. Just cut that out, cut the corporate welfare, and instead just lower taxes and let consumers pick which businesses should be winners and which ones should be losers. That stuff gets so frustrating. Like, why should your money and mine, why should our tax dollars go to like a guy like Elon Musk when, uh, you know, when Tesla gets a bailout? Why would, you know, Maple Leaf Foods, billion dollar company get it? We just saw the city of Ottawa giving millions of dollars to Porsche. Hey, listen, I like Porsches. I've never driven one. Probably <laughs> yeah. never will. I, I think I had a Porsche poster once. That was nice. But I know they don't need that tax money. Like, get all the way out of here. That one just... That one drives me a little bit crazy, but okay. Listen, here's the thing. This is why we're talking about this stuff. You're going to see groups everywhere else for everything else, asking for more money, more money for this, more money for that. Politicians, they hear from hundreds and hundreds of groups all the time saying we need more money for X, Y, Z, all of it, every letter in the alphabet, they want more money for it. And listen, some of these things are even good causes. And you know what? Take a look. There's almost uh, nobody saying, hey, maybe we should be careful with the money and dial it back a notch. That's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing with this ebook, Life After COVID. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Just click that link, download the book. We've got the uh, a lot of the tax stuff, the economic stuff, uh, groups like us at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We talked about a bunch of that stuff, but we also have some super smart lawyers talking about some of the legal issues, very, very smart people on the healthcare side of things saying, here's a path forward. Hopefully the virus side of COVID is over soon, or at least, you know, really well under control, but we're going to have to deal with the aftermath for a long time. That's where we're kicking out some of these big ideas. Check out the ebook, but okay. I'm going to kick you out of here, Franco. You've been depressing enough with the big stuff. 
We got Jimbo coming in, James Wood, our investigative journalist. Good old James Wood. His stuff is also kind of depressing because he uh, digs up the government waste, but at least he's funny about it, man. You know, like you just bring the depressing stuff and it just sits on me like a lead balloon. At least, uh, at least Jimbo's funny. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, Waste Watch. All right, here's the man himself, James Wood, our investigative reporter, affectionately known as Jimbo, and an absolute bloodhound for the waste at Rideau Hall, in particular, one of its most infamous residents, former Governor General Julie Payette. There's more on this one that's sort of uh, both hard and easy to believe. Jimbo, what's going on? Yeah, so in the latest example of uh, strange uh, use of money coming out of Rideau Hall, we had to fork over close to $200,000 more for work at the mansion because of delays. And Julie Payette's office appears to have played a role in those delays. Okay, so taxpayers get nailed for $200,000 in additional expenses, not because they're working really hard or building really nice stuff, but because they're not doing stuff that just gets delayed because they can't get it together scheduling stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly looks that way. So we obtained a pile of exclusive docs from the National Capital Commission, which mentioned a bunch of project delays at Rideau Hall. For those who don't know, Rideau Hall is the free mansion for governor generals, or at least those who choose to live there. The commission, which our colleague Chris Sims likes to describe as a superpowered parks and recreation department, looks after the mansion. Okay, so the National Capital Commission runs the mansion at uh, Rideau Hall. Julie Payette was living there for free at the taxpayer's expense. And yet somehow, as they're doing renos and not getting it together, costs spike by 200 grand. I'm, uh, I'm afraid to ask. How in the world? <laughs> how in the world do you run up 200 grand by not getting stuff done? Okay, so, so both the NCC and Payette's office had projects at Rideau Hall, all of which we pay for. It's all coming from the same taxpayer. The records I got back mentioned repeated delays on the NCC's own projects at the house tied back to what were basically disagreements between both agencies. Now, when I went to go ask the NCC about the delays, it told me that a storage and maintenance building planned for the residents had a roughly $200,000 cost overrun during the 2019 construction season. Okay. So they can't figure out when to when to hold the garden party and when to uh, when to actually come in to get some work done, and we get nailed with two hundred grand grand bill. It, it, I don't know, man. <laughs> You're gonna have to connect some more dots here for me. Yeah, it was because they had so many projects on the on on the move um, for this particular one. It looked like they couldn't agree on a start date for the for the work. You can see it mentioned multiple times throughout the records I got back. And because of that delay in the start, because of uh, the project kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, uh, they ended up incurring more costs. Now, unfortunately, the NCC didn't go into much detail about how that happened, but they had the figure and they said it was because of delays when I asked them about delays. So that's what we ended up with. So Julie Payette was delaying things. In an unrelated story, delays cost us 200 grand. <laughs> I don't know, you know? When there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Definitely some uh, big questions there. Yeah, it's 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 definitely like people could put 
the the pieces together. But I mean, on top of that, on top of that ridiculous cost, the NCC also had serious concerns for the way Payette's office was spending money on Rideau Hall in the first place. Yeah, and this is this is a, a weird part of the story because it's not like the NCC is uh, inhibited about spending money. It's not shy. It's not one of those uh, people that go to the bathroom when the check comes at the restaurant, right? <laughs> These guys, they spent $200,000 on three drinking fountains. Three drinking fountains, 200 grand. The NCC spent $40,000 just to study a broken down old barn at the prime minister's cottage retreat. They didn't build the barn. They didn't fix the barn. They just spent 40 grand poking around it. And then they spent 200, or sorry, 200. They don't deal in those numbers. <laughs> Two and a half million dollars for a second cottage at the uh, prime minister's retreat. So the NCC, listen, these folks, if you, if you wanted an Olympic champion at spending money on crazy stuff, uh, NCC, uh, they'd be highly, highly ranked. If they're saying you need to slow down on the money, it's kind of like when the bartender comes over to you at the end of the night and they're like, ah, how, about you, how about you have a glass of water? You know, like that's kind of the message here, I feel like. Yeah, and exactly. That's a good analogy to use. Like we already know that uh, Ms. Payette spent close to half a million dollars, sorry, or Ms. Payette's office spent close to half a million dollars on the mansion, despite never actually moving in. We also already know that Payette didn't have the best relationship with the rest of official Ottawa, but one exchange in the records from May 9th, 2019, made that very clear. So that day, the NCC's vice president of official residences, Greg Kenny, he sent an email to his boss, CEO, Toby Newsbaum, before a meeting with Rideau Hall officials. He had two key messages, and I'll read those out. The NCC is an independent crown corporation at arm's length from government. This is to ensure the objective selection and implementation of projects based on operational requirements, thereby avoiding even the perception of influence by residents. Now, in residents in this case, being uh, governor generals. He also mentioned a need for taxpayers' money to be used prudently and in an economical manner. Quoting again, as a result, we require sound rationale to appropriately justify the use of tax dollars. Yeah, this is one of those emails that you get back. We get a lot of boring emails. Sometimes we get infuriating emails. <laughs> and then you get the unintentionally funny. You know, like this isn't like Dave Chappelle coming up with like a new like Netflix special and writing carefully crafting super funny jokes. This is a bureaucrat being hilarious without intending to. So he's getting called to a meeting where the, uh, where the governor general is demanding, I want this and this and this and this. And his recommended response isn't, oh, well, that project and we could do this. And what it, his response is, let's read the governor general, the legislation saying we can't just piss money away like crazy people. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. If you read between the lines, it's the message is pretty clear. And I mean, like at that point, uh, if the folks that are uh, known to spend money in strange and goofy ways are raising the red flag about your spending, you should probably put down your checkbook or you should have your checkbook taken away. Like it's, it's pretty concerning to, to read that stuff and think, okay, this is a, this seems a bit off to me, but so uh, now you took a look at those emails. You didn't, yeah, you know, you thought eh, we're reading between the lines here. Yeah. But you asked the NCC, yeah, what about Greg's emails there? What uh, you want to shed any more light on that? What'd they tell you? Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, when you have a question like that to a government agency, uh, usually you expect them to be like, okay, maybe they'll say no comment or they'll kind of dance around the question or just be indirect or, or they won't say anything. Uh, in this case, 
the response back from the spokesperson was pretty telling. I quote them directly, the emails speak for themselves. <laughs> Which was not the <laughs> answer I expected. <laughs> Again, unintentional comedy, hey? Not like confirm or deny, not no comment, but yeah, Greg wrote what he meant and he meant what he said. We're going to leave it at that. I think that's pretty telling. You know, not a no comment, not a, well, you know, the, what you got to understand is this or that. Just, uh, yeah, the email says it pretty clearly. I think I think we got the drift of that. Okay, but what about Payette herself? Obviously, she's got a whole side of this story as well. What, uh, what did you get on that side of things? So uh, I reached out to both uh, Ms. Payette and uh, Rito Hall. Now, uh, Payette declined to say anything through her assistant. Uh, and Rito Hall basically dodged the question uh, about both the expensive delays and uh, Mr. Kenny's messages there. Oh, man. And so the game goes on. I got a feeling this isn't the last time we're going to talk about uh, Ms. Payette's time as governor general. We'll keep digging it into this. But here's the crazy part. So she left the job. You know, usually when you quit a job, that's it. You don't get paid anymore, nothing like that. But governors general can bill taxpayers for a hundred grand a year in expenses, even after they've left office. They don't even work for us anymore. How are they taking our money? And yet they can bill us for expenses. It's absolutely crazy. Payette could actually be taking more of your money uh, for the rest of her life if she wants to, on the off chance, you think that that's not good, that maybe that's unfair. We do have a petition. We're pushing hard on this issue. This is why we're digging into this stuff. Check out the link in the show notes. It'll tell you where to sign the petition. You can jump into this issue and stay tuned. I'm going to go out on a limb here, way out on a limb. Jimbo, I don't think this is the last time we're talking about this stuff. We're going to keep digging into it because... (laughs) The only way to shut this stuff off is figure out where the where the money's leaking out of. And so uh, we'll keep digging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for checking in with us. And thanks to James Wood. He does a lot of work, uh, first of all, digging up all the dirt and dumb government spending where we see our money getting wasted. So thanks to Jimbo on that. And thanks to Jimbo, he's like the janitor around here. He cleans up everything. He cleans up the podcast, edits it up, uh, try to make sure that we didn't make too many mistakes. Although I've got to come clean about a mistake I made. I said earlier in the show, right off the top, that Newfoundland spending went up by $120 million. It did, but that was just for the program spending. $120 million in new program spending. Newfoundland's overall way, uh, budget went up by about $750 million. Sorry about that. Also, sorry about that, Newfoundlanders. That spending's out of control. Uh, Hopefully we get that sorted out soon. But in any case, there it is. That's the cleanup there. Thanks to Jimbo for cleaning up so many other things. And thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you dropping by. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. 
And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.